I'm Cesar Rubio, five-time past master of Palm Springs Laws number 693, and this is Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time, making exercise and study a cornerstone of your daily routine, because Freemasonry is work. When you put in the work, you get closer and closer to the point within the circle. Masonic Muscle, we give you more light, but no light weights. We're here to pump you up, body, mind, and soul. Welcome back. Before we get to today's show, I have a real quick favor to ask of you. If you've been enjoying the Masonic Muscle Podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you took one minute to give me a review on either iTunes or Spotify. It helps me out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you so much. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member you'd think would get something out of it. Word of mouth is the primary way Masonic Muscle grows and spreads. So please share, text a friend, send out an email, however you communicate, tell them to check it out. Thank you for your continued support, and now... Onto the show. For you California Masons, you know what time it is. If you're an officer of the lodge, or if you've been wanting to help with degree work, have you been digging into your cipher? Have you been studying your cipher, reading it? Some Masons that, uh, members that I know, have admitted that before they go to bed, they have their cipher, you know, on their nightstand, and they begin to read it. They begin to read portions of it so that it begins to just seep in to their subconscious. And not only do they read it so they can reinforce their memory work, but they want to read it because they, they want to actually take the time to figure out what it means. What the hell are we saying here? What are we doing? For you Masons that are going through your degrees, and you have your guidebooks. Have you been reading them? I mean, they're 35 pages, but they're, they got some good stuff in there. And it definitely can help you uh, use, you can use it as a launching pad for your study, your further study. It's got some suggested reading in the back. It's got uh, websites you can visit, suggested websites. It's got a glossary. Have you been improving your spiritual, moral, and Masonic trestle boards? And if you don't know what that means, and you're a Mason, you better go to your ritual and find out. Have you stopped making excuses and begun to improve the level of your fitness one degree at a time? Because that's all it takes, brother. One degree, just one day at a time. And if you fall off, you know, if all of a sudden the whole day you missed a day or you ate like crap, start over. That's it. Just keep going. Have you improved the quality of your nutrition, the quality of the food you take in? But not only that, the quality of the thoughts you entertain. Have you? If not, why not? When would now be a good time to start this improvement of your body, mind, and soul? When would now be a good time? Last show, I talked a little bit about Randall J. Strauzen and his super squats, how to gain 30 pounds of muscle in six weeks. 
You can get that on Amazon. I think it's like 18 bucks, 96 pages. Matt, it's great reading. I've had that book. Uh, I gave it away, I believe, or someone borrowed it and I didn't have it, but I bought it back in 2003, 2004. I loved it. But the one I really fell in love with was some one that I've mentioned in the past by P. Reed Raider. And it's called the Raider Master Bodybuilding and Weight Gaining System. Now, for those of you who don't know who Piri Raider is, he was, for the longest time, the owner and editor of Iron Man magazine. I don't know who owns it now. Obviously, it's not Piri Raider. I think he passed away. But when you learn about him, you learn his story and you learn that he was a weakling and he tried all kinds of exercise methods didn't work but then he came upon the the milks and squat routine and i think he was like a 90 pound weakling you know the the, the classic story and he got some dumbbells i don't know or barbells he got a barbell he got some weights he began to squat do squatting and through that exercise alone he he grew muscular wise weight wise just blew up and this is back in the 40s. Now, this little booklet that I just mentioned is 46 pages. Came out in 1946. It was originally published in 1946. And this little gem was way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. It's got great pictures of the strongmen of the day, bodybuilders of the day. It's got such things as training advice of importance, you know, previous exercise experience, arrangement of your program, age and fast gains, uh, correct living habits, mental habits. And, and how about that? Sleep, rest, and relaxation, bathing even. Yeah, get your ass out there and take a shower. Jeez. Massage. Diet for weight gaining. And I believe he's one of the first authors to, him and Jacques Lelaine, to recommend eating five to six small meals throughout the day. And they give examples. He, he gives, I think, one example of what it could look like. Let me see if, uh, yeah. So, for instance... He has breakfast. The first diet is a six-meal-a-day diet as follows. Breakfast, two eggs, two glasses of milk, three tablespoons, super protein. Uh, and the, the milk, remember, it was delivered in a bottle. It was just, it was from the, I don't know if it was pasteurized, but a lot of people had the, the family cow, so they would just go out there and get their milk. So they got all those nutrients. So that's breakfast. Mid-morning, meat sandwich. It just says meat sandwich. Lunch, a one-third pound steak, one vegetable, two slices of bread. Mid-afternoon, cheese sandwich. Dinner, again, quarter pound steak, three slices of bread, two tablespoons super protein. Damn. Imagine the bubble guts coming out of that one. Evening, two eggs. Oh, my God. Two tablespoons super protein. 
oh, I, I missed uh, other stuff over here. Like for for example, in the breakfast, it was two it was two eggs, it was two glasses of milk and three tablespoons of, of super protein. Oh, you put that in there, but over here it has uh, two slices of wheat bread, ham or bacon, and two vitamin mineral or something like that. And the mid-morning was the meat sandwich with one glass of milk. At lunch was the quarter-pound steak, one vegetable, two slices of bread, cottage cheese, two glasses of milk. See, the, the milk was very prominent because it, it had a lot of calories. It had protein and carbohydrates. The lunch was quarter-pound steak, one vegetable, two slices of bread. I just said that. Uh, Mid-afternoon, cheese sandwich, one glass of milk. Dinner was a quarter-pound steak, two slices of bread, two tablespoons super protein, two vegetables, two glasses of milk, two vita mineral, and evening, two eggs, two tablespoons super protein, and one glass of milk. Man, can you imagine the gas that that dude was probably passing? Oh, my God. He probably had to sleep outside. So I imagine that's like 3,000 calories. It even talks about sexual habits, frequency of workouts, Split workout program, correct posture, uh, hard work necessary, number of repetitions and adding weight, breathing methods, the use of cambered or bent bars and loading bags. They used to do that. They, 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 they created that. They invented the cambered bar, which is basically a barbell. They bent it in the middle. Supposedly, it was so they didn't dig into your shoulders as you squat it, use them to squat. And then they show pictures, illustrations of how to perform the exercises. And then they get into the heist breathing, shoulder shrug, different repetition schedule. They covered everything. They did not, there's nothing new under the sun. The only thing that they did not have back then that, that we have now is, is obviously we're far more advanced in the technology in the understanding of nutrition and m like macronutrients and all this amino acids and rehab far more advanced now last episode i also talked about nesta webster's chapter in her book secret societies and subversive movements and the chapter on the origins of Freemasonry. And it's worth reading the first part again because th th this is crucial. And this might be at the core of why so many people want to listen to Masonic podcasts or stardom because there's something missing in our Masonic journey. We go to Lodge. We take our degrees, you know, but we, we never really got to the core of why we're there. And she says that the great mass of Freemasons do not know or care to know anything about the history of their order. Whilst Masonic authorities are entirely disagreed on the matter. I put a note down here and I said this was the case at, the, at that time, but it doesn't seem that way at the present as all the Grand Lodges and individual lodges actively promote the theory, the transition theory, meaning that, we, yeah, we know it's a theory, you know, that we came from the builders 
and the building guilds. We know it's a theory, but it's 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 pretty much true. So can we move on now? It's basically the attitude. But I believe that the fraternity will get stronger and Masons will, will have a better grasp of what they're involved in if they actually got to know the history of their order. And we, we don't fall to this. The great mass of the Freemasons do not know or care to know anything about the history of their order. That's the majority. That's, that's 90%. And yeah, you can tell me, no, no, I'm very interested in... And then you ask, well, uh, you know, what have you read? And well, you know, I've just, I, I just heard some documentaries, and you know, I just want to get a general idea. Oh, then, then you're not really, you're not really interested. And then she gives off the twelve. You know, she used the Royal Masonic Encyclopedia, which gave off twelve different theories, and the one that I started with was number one. It says that, for, you know, from the patriarchs, antediluvian fathers. And I read a little bit about that using an article I got from the Catholic Encyclopedia. And I'm going to read from that again because we started to get into that. And we because I read a little bit from Anderson's Constitution, what it actually says. And by the way, this Anderson's Constitution is the one... That was as edited and published by Benjamin Franklin in 1734. I believe this was the first Masonic book published in the colonies. And it was by Benjamin Franklin in 1734. You can get this copy at barnesandnobles.com.gov.org. Whatever. Anyways, but I started reading the, the beginning because he, he starts off with the legend of Freemasonry and where we came from. And it, it becomes apparent that he's talking about the patriarchs. And, and the patriarchs are, are an ant, comprise the antediluvian group. Antediluvians, Nephilim. We've heard a lot about that. And how long they live. And the article gets into that. The article gets into how, how long uh, they live. And 900 years. And, and, and it says, you know, those figures have always constituted a most difficult problem for commentators and Bible readers. And those who defend the strict historical character of the passages in question have put forward various explanations. None of which are considered convincing by modern biblical scholars. Thus, it has been conjectured that the years mentioned in this connection were not of ordinary duration, but of one or more months. There is, however, no warrant for this assumption in the scripture itself, where the word year has a constant signification and is always clearly distinguished from the minor periods. It, all, it has also been suggested that the ages given are not those of individuals, but signify epochs of antediluvian history. And that each is named after its most illustrious representative. The hypothesis may be ingenious, but even a superficial reading of the text suffices to show that such was not the meaning of the sacred writer. Nor does it help the case much to point out a few exceptional instances of persons who in modern times are alleged to have lived to the age of 150 or even 180. For even admitting these in facts as facts, and that in primitive times men lived longer 
than at present, an assumption for which we find no warrant in historic times. It is still a long way from 180 to 900. Another argument to corroborate the historical accuracy of the Bible account has been deduced from the fact that the legends of many people assert the great longevity of their early ancestors, a circumstance which is said to imply an original tradition to that effect. Thus, the first seven Egyptian kings are said to have reigned for a period of 12,300 years, making an average of, of about 1,757 years for each. And Josephus, who was preoccupied with the desire to justify the biblical narrative, quotes Ephorus and Nicholas as relating that the ancients lived a thousand years. He adds, however, but as to those matters, let every look, let everyone look upon them as he thinks fit. Antediluvians. And I was, as I was reading that section of Anderson's Constitution, I was like, "Wow, this this is pretty pretty good, pretty good reading." I believe I got down to where we learned that Seth <clears throat> was the prince of the other half of mankind, and and he was the 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 prime cultivator of astronomy, it says, but that he he took equal care to teach geometry and astronomy so now we have these three powerful sciences we have astronomy that was propagated and taught and cultivated by seth but what he taught was astronomy geometry and masonry and he taught it to his offspring who had also the mighty advantage of adam's living among them in other words adam was still living and he taught them as well they had that advantage. It goes on to say this, But without regarding uncertain accounts, we may safely conclude the old world that lasted 1,656 years could not be ignorant of masonry, and that both the families of Seth and Cain erected many curious works, until at length Noah, there we go, the ninth from Seth, was commanded and directed of God to build the great ark, which though of wood, was certainly fabricated by geometry and according to the rules of masonry. Interesting. Interesting that these masons would have these legends. Interesting that these legends would be kept amongst a group of men, supposedly, guild, guilds of masons during that time, that were illiterate they couldn't read someone had to have read it to them but they didn't but they would hold on to them if you believe in the transition theory and let's read this last part noah and his three sons japhet shem and ham all masons true brought with them over the flood the traditions and arts of the antediluvians and amply communicated them to their growing offspring. For about 101 years after the flood, we find a vast number of them, if not the whole race of Noah, in the Vale of Shinar, employed in building a city and large tower in order to make to themselves a name and to prevent their dispersion. And though they carried on the work 
to a monstrous height, and by their vanity provoke God to confound their devices by confounding their speech, which occasioned their dispersion, yet their skill in masonry is not the less to be celebrated, having spent above 53 years in that prodigious work, and upon their dispersion carried the mighty knowledge with them into distant parts, where they found the good use of it in the settlement of their kingdoms, commonwealths, and dynasties. And though afterwards it was lost in most parts of the earth, it was especially preserved in Shinar and Assyria, where Nimrod, the founder of that monarchy, after the dispersion, built many splendid cities as Erech, Akkad, and Kalne in Shinar, from whence forwards, afterwards he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Caleb, and Rezin. This book's getting pretty good. Henderson's Constitution. Again, you can buy it. You can buy this version, which I think is one of the best. I have other versions in it. it you know, it's difficult reading uh, because it hasn't been transferred over into how we write today. It's the Constitutions of the Freemasons containing the history, charges, and regulations and of the most ancient and right worshipful fraternity for the use of the lodges by James Anderson as edited and published by Benjamin Franklin, 1734. And that's part of the, the origin theory that Freemasonry comes from the patriarchs, according to the Royal Masonic Cyclopedia, the, the list of 12 theories. Start getting out there and looking, gentlemen. Brethren, if you guys find some, some great articles, some great information that can begin to add to this, send it to me. Send it to me at MasonicMuscle357 at gmail.com. If you want to come on the show and talk about it and talk about what you found and how it's enlightening you and how it's improving your understanding of what we're involved in, by all means, reach out to me through the same means. You can uh, also find me at, at Masonic Muscle on Instagram, Facebook, got a page, Masonic Muscle page. Reach out, shed some light, stop holding out. And help us all learn more about our past. These strong sessions are calculated to inculcate in the mind of the novitiate the importance of subduing our passions and improving ourselves in masonry, feeding the attentive ear with the sound of the instructive tongue, endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding, effectively spreading the cement of knowledge and wisdom hopefully some good will towards exercising. Get out there and get your walking in. Open up your ciphers. Study, memorize, and just do it.